So welcome. How was your practice this evening? Okay, how many people had a good practice? Okay. How many people had a bad sitting? Okay. Um, how many people worked with uh, difficult content, difficult uh, energies, emotions? Nobody had difficult emotions. <laughs> how many people are suppressing or denying or no? <laughs> Okay, good. Um, I wanted to, uh, it's a, 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 dis a practice discussion, but I wanted to start by just reading a little, um, a poem by Thich Nhat Hanh and just giving a short commentary, which I think is very useful. And then we'll just open it up, okay? Of course, I was hoping that you'd, because I'm gonna, the poem is around working with difficult emotions. So I was hoping everyone would raise their hands. It's okay. So um, this is, <clears throat> and I'll just give a little reflection about the path, and then we can just open it up. So this is from Thich Nhat Hanh. Everyone know who Thich Nhat Hanh is? He's a great um, Vietnamese Zen master who, it's quite interesting because he has the, the attitude of a very open, compassionate attitude, and then it's grounded in some of the very simple practices like breath and body awareness. So it's a very beautiful kind of wisdom and compassion uh, balance in his teachings. Very accessible, very good for daily life. So here's what he says um, about working with anger, but it could be any difficult emotion. Or it actually could probably be an itch or boredom or anything else. <laughs> he says, the Buddhist attitude is to take care of anger. We don't suppress it. We don't run away from it. We just breathe and hold our anger in our arms with utmost tenderness. The anger is no longer alone. It is with mindfulness. If you keep breathing, mindfulness particles will infiltrate the anger. If you keep shining your understanding and compassion on it, your anger will soon crack and you will ab be able to see into its depths and see its roots. So why do I think this is a good, kind of a beautiful poem to help bring us into a discussion on practice? Well, let's look, let's look a little closer at some of the words. I'll just go through and pick out some, some, some words that I think point us to, to what our path is actually doing, what this, what this path. How many people are new? Anybody new? Anybody not educated in this, this tradition at all? Brand new? Barely new? How many really old hands are here? Okay, yeah, I know. I can, I, I, some familiar faces. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so if the first part is to the, the word he says, to, the attitude is to take care. And much of our practice is around taking care. But taking care in this, in, the, in this tradition is taking care from the point of view of the mind and the heart and what comes from that. So in the Dhammapada, early teaching of the Buddha, it said uh, the first line of this very famous um, set of phrases, early, it's like a compilation of, a distillation of wisdom from the early tradition, one of the most famous books in early Buddhism, it says that the mind, paraphrase, it's, translated many different ways. The mind is the forerunner of all things. With a mind that is clouded, that is angry, that is greedy, suffering will follow, sure as the shadow follows the ox cart. And with a mind that is clear, that is wise, that is filled with natural love, compassion, happiness will follow, as sure as the shadow follows the ox cart. So it's saying that we, we take care by taking care of our minds. And it's actually quite logical because everything we do, it, even in relation to our bodies, every action that we do internally or externally, everything we put in our bodies, we weigh all of our exercise, our, our speech, 
and all of our thoughts. It's all, it's all run from the core, from our mind, from our intentions and from our level of awareness. It's all from the mind. So we learn to take care by taking care of the mind and then moving from the care that's in the mind and the heart. So the mind and the heart are of one fabric. It's called chitta. So in this, from the meditative tradition, they're not actually separate. They're different facets. So that's, the, that's, the most, that's like the one first foundational piece. The second is we don't suppress it and we don't run away. So again, this, is, so this, is, this can be for anything in our practice that gets in the way of being really clear and present, can it? Yeah. We don't suppress, which means what? To push down, right? We don't run away. And we could also say that we don't indulge. We don't get lost. And we spend a lot of our time, don't we, with our thoughts? Either if we don't like them, we kind of suppress them. If we're sitting and we kind of like them, but we think we're not supposed, you know, we're not supposed to be doing this to be mindful, then we kind of get lost a little indulging. But we try to bring ourselves back. So this energy of not indulging, not suppressing, not running away, but not indulging in is at the core. It's really at the heart of our, of our practice. So that's what mindfulness actually means. If you define the word mindfulness, is everyone here practicing mindfulness? One form or another? Okay, good. So mindfulness actually means, um, it means to be able to be in a relationship with whatever we're attending to in a way that does not judge it. And it does, it's not blind to it either. So if we don't see something clearly, we're not judging it. But when we see it, we, we judge it. It's not pushing, it's not pulling. And that's a kind of a radical place to be, actually. Every time we touch the moment in a way that is very direct and fresh, that's a moment of mindfulness. Now, why is that so important? Because the way we suffer, the way we get caught in anger and other emotions, is that when we don't, when we suppress right, push away or indulge, we're actually feeding. We're feeding the energy. And often there's a complex of thoughts, emotions, energies in the body, and they feed off each other, called habit energies, and they spin. And even if they're not totally conscious, they're working, and then what happens? We react out of that place. So the mind is clouded, and then it moves from that place. So a moment of mindfulness is a moment of seeing without energies that are clouded. So this is the basic recommendation. We don't suppress it, we don't run away from it, and we also don't indulge. We just breathe. That's the next line, we just breathe. Now how many people use the breath as your anchor in meditation? Okay, great. How many people use the body more than the breath? Okay. Anybody use sound? Except, uh, except when you have to, like all the trucks are going by. And you <laughs> okay, great. So we can relate to the, la- most of us can relate even to the language of this, but whatever our anchor is. So we learn to develop a mindful relationship, which is the second aspect of mindfulness, is remembering to how to cultivate this sense of not being pushed and pulled around by experience by coming back to what we said for ourselves. So we do that with the breath, if that's our anchor. So this is what it's saying. We, We breathe, we just breathe, okay? And there's two aspects of practice. One is called calming or steadying. It's called shamatha, if you want to use the technical language, like old language. And one is called vipassana, seeing into clearly in a way that sees the nature of the object so we don't cling and actually opens us into the nature of our own heart and mind. That is fundamentally much more buoyant and free than we had previously experienced. That's why we practice, right? To get a little freedom. <laughs> okay. So the first part is we, we breathe or we find our anchor when we get steady. And it's very important in our, in our, and as we practice to find a, a skillful relationship with being able, just coming back to our object. And I, when I led the instructions, for those of you who are here, um, then I guided us in the possibilities. And the first is just, to, you just wake up, right, wherever you are, and then you come back to your anchor. 
again and again and again. That's the basic approach. And we have a value of actually, it's very important to have a value of waking up wherever we are and valuing that moment. Because if we only value being with the breath, then guess what happens? We start judging, suppressing, and <laughs> right? having unnecessary energy. So we just wake up fresh, come back again and again. So that's the first part. And once this gets established, so this is where, and this is where this takes, this is where the, this, this poem takes off, this approach to teaching takes off, is that we breathe and as we have some steadiness with the breath, it doesn't work too well if you don't have any awareness, if you're just, if you don't have any steadiness. You know, the breath is like a, does the breath bring awareness into your being? How many people feel that way? That when you breathe and you're conscious out a few breaths, it kind of nourishes you, right? We're taking care. So that taking care is of the mind, and then we take care of the moment. That's how it translates. We learn to take care of the moment by nourishing ourselves in the utter simplicity of what we're attending to. It's actually kind of simple, isn't it? It's beautiful, but unfortunately, it's not easy. So once we get a little momentum going, then, or a lot of momentum, then sometimes we just practice for calm. How many people in their practice, they feel like they kind of just practice for calm? I mean, you can be a lot of, I think if we were being honest, sometimes I just practice for calm. I just, I'm, you know, I'm just, my life is really busy and I just want to sit and watch my breath and get calm. And enough of this wisdom stuff. Okay, fine. <laughs> I mean, we, we think it. We think, yeah, okay. But really, and, and this is nothing wrong with this at all. There isn't. We just do it, we get nourished. And we know that actually if we attend to the moment that it nourishes us. It nourishes our brain, you know, our nervous system, it balances us out. And we feel refreshed and good and we move into life that way. And a lot of daily practice is that. Actually a lot of what the, kind of a lot of what modern meditation is for people with busy lives who don't have time to go really, to have extended periods is that that's, that's, that's a lot of what meditation is. It's calming, right? So we learn to get calm, and we can either do it a little bit, or we can do it a lot. Like I actually just finished teaching a retreat at the Insight Meditation Society today, which is, anybody, everybody know what that is? It's out in Barry, Mass. So um, it's a seven-day retreat. So uh, I came in, and it was, I was pretty spent. It's a lot, a lot of work. <laughs> We had uh, like 40 people that were uh, brand new to retreat. So that had to take a lot. I don't know how calm they got. But, uh, so I had my fourth shot. I don't drink much. I didn't have much caffeine all week. I had a four-shot latte. <laughs> Came in, uh, saw Larry, and had a four-shot latte with lunch. <laughs> Boy, that's a different kind. That, that's not calm, but that's energy. Okay. <laughs> um, so if you have a longer time, then sometimes you can get more, you can really focus on this aspect. Even sometimes if you, if you sit longer at home or whatever, you really can explore the calm a little bit more. When I trained in Asia, um, when I was a monk, I, I visited some monasteries where one, one monastery I went to was in the, this Thai forest tradition. People familiar with Ajahn Chah? Yeah. And so it was, uh, he was a disciple of this, this teacher, Ajahn Mun. So he was like this, like the great sort of teacher of this whole Thai forest tradition. He was the one who, like the powerhouse behind it. So I went to a number of Ajahn Mun's disciples. So Ajahn Chah was one of them. I, I spent time in his monasteries when he was alive. And, um, and then there were some others, Ajahn Mahaboa and Nampote. They're just some names. But I remember I had an interview with one of the great old masters. And what he said to me, and they did a lot of breath awareness, sometimes with a mantra as well, Bhutto, Bhutto, with the breath or just the breath. And what he said to me is, you need to go, like he wanted me to really focus on calming. So he said, you need to be able to go in the forest and live alone for two years and just focus on your practice. So there's a sense that like, so that really, it's really important to get calm. That's what I got. And I was like, thank you very much. I got other things to do. <laughs> um, so the, it can be taken to, it can either be little moments in the day, we turn to the breath or a footstep or whatever, we just get a little, we, we touch a little calm, or it can be to that extent where we're really secluded, or from a week-long retreat at IMS where you just go in a little deeper, or it can be much longer, okay, three-month retreat. Or, 
So the, the value of calm is very, is very important in the teachings. So the second piece is to be able to use that calm. So don't overlook that. Sometimes we give it short change, uh, but sometimes we practice for that, and it's good just to acknowledge when we do. But then we move into vipassana, or, or clear seeing, and that's what we bring a more, we bring that calm more fully into our life. So the next phase, he says, we just breathe and hold our anger in our arms with utmost tenderness. Nice try. Not so easy, huh? But have you ever, so I, I really want to draw you out to see where I go with this. When you, when you breathe in and out, if you have some calm with that, do you intentionally open the practice to be with whatever else, sound, sound, uh, excuse me, sounds, emotions, sensations in the body? Is that a natural, either it happens naturally or you do it intentionally? For how many people do they feel like they use the strength of their calm and then they open intentionally or life just gets more strong? But you're, so you're staying with what's arising, but you've got, you've got your anchor there to help you. How many folks feel like they use, you, use your anchor, but you use that to actually have more awareness strength when, you, when life starts to touch you in more variety of ways? Come on, you can raise them high. Be proud. It's a good thing <laughs> in terms of the um, trajectory of practice. Now, another way that practice unfolds is that you don't actually, you move back and forth, right? So you can breathe with, and that's how this, this is working, and I'll continue to work with the poem, but you can also move back and forth between the object. Let's say you open up and there's anger, and you investigate it a bit, and you feel it, and you start to get into the energy of it. Maybe it lands in the body. It moves. You don't... You're not so reactive. You see it as energy, not so many of the thoughts. You come out of the thoughts. And then your mind starts to get a little jagged, get caught up, then you come back to the breath, right? And then if you open it, you let go of the breath or your anchor. So that's one way of working. But you can also work in this way. In Larry's book, Anapanasati, right? Awareness of Breathing, if anyone's worked with that, the condensed method is simply to sit and breathe and open and let yourself ride the waves of being, of being grounded in a way, but then also be open to life. And look, it, some people are looking at me like, what is he talking about? Well, if you're in a relationship and you're getting triggered, someone's triggering, and you can actually maintain some awareness in your body and perhaps breathe, then you have a much better chance to actually be with those reactions and not act out of them. So it's very practical, actually. Has anyone experienced that? You have, yeah, good. That's because that's a great, that's a turning point in practice, actually. When we start to realize, oh, I have an inner resource in relation to this aversion or this whatever it is that's arising right in the moment, and I'm actually in the midst of life. Sometimes we lose it in life and we have it on the cushion. Sometimes we have it in life and we think we should have it on the cushion, and it's not so easy. So it's interesting, but it applies to the wholeness of our life. So we should breathe and hold our anger in our arms with utmost tenderness. Now that's just a, so the anger is not alone is the next line. And to me, that's one of the most beautiful parts of this is that once we start to have a relationship with awareness in the present moment, this non-judgmental present moment awareness, then it starts, we start to situate ourselves. We start to have a quiet inner resource and strength and confidence, which helps us to actually hold what was otherwise and these energies are split off we have split off energies i'm not good enough comparative mind we feel small or we feel bigger than we're, there's a lot of there's a lot of split energies that are in us that are kind of battling in us i'm the only one <laughs> And so when we learn to become more present and then hold that with a little bit of openness, then these energies are not alone. They are, as he said, they are with mindfulness. And that's a very, that's a delicate but a very beautiful place in practice when we start to actually feel that we, we can more rest and abide in a sense of being present. And that there's like, a friend, the breath is meant to be a friend. Our anchor is meant to be a friend. It's actually something that we can turn to, to get nourishment and to help us to have that energy which helps to hold our life more fully, which is quite beautiful. 
Um, a Burmese teacher, U Tejaniya, who um, works a lot directly with the mind, he was, he was here once, and he was in the basement, and he was doing a discussion group, and I was in the group, and someone said they felt really alone. And they, and they were alone, and they were, they were a bit older, and they lived alone, and he said, you know, the person asked, said, what should I do? And he said, you need to make friends with awareness. And I thought that was quite beautiful because it was pointing to the fact that when we start to really become present again and again, that there's an aware, there's that awareness. It's like the breath. It's like, a, I know that the species is, is deceased, but carrier pigeons, they're always bringing messages, weren't they, right? So it's like bringing the breath or our anchor or just waking up in the moment. You can do it right now. You don't have to. It's like it, you don't have to necessarily return to something to strengthen our mindfulness. That it brings awareness into our life right now. It comes right into our life. And that we start to actually be able to relax a little more. So we become a little more comfortable, a little more easeful in the moment. And then when we do that, it's whatever's arising is no longer alone. We have, we have, some, we have something accompanying it. And then if you keep breathing, he says, your mindfulness particles will infiltrate the anger. Infiltrate, okay? If you keep shining your understanding and compassion on your anger, it will soon crack. So that's, that's the key of what mindfulness is. That's the key of what vipassana, when we move, into, when we move from the calming and steadying into actually looking into our life, whatever it is, or anger, whatever it is, then we start to actually see into it. When anyone, when you have an emotional release and you're present, really present for it, when an energy, an emotion washes through you, it happens to all of us, I hope. <laughs> then what happens? It's like it actually, the, the thickness, the, the stuckness of it shifts and the energy moves, doesn't it? Has everybody had, naturally had releases sometimes? where you have an energy that's very tight and then it kind of, it, it moves. It's like something, it, it was frozen and then it's not. Right? And then he says, and then it soon cracks. <laughs> if you keep shining, shining your understanding, compassion on your anger, it will soon crack. So what happens in this tradition, or in just in clear seeing when the mind is steadier, is we actually, the seeing energy gets bigger and it starts to actually take interest in those parts of ourselves that we had no interest in at all, that we were at this battle with. Because it's stronger, we can hold it. We can hold things with more fullness. And he actually, he uses the word compassion as well as wisdom. When we shine our wisdom and compassion so the compassion is the holding. And what is, what is compassion? When you're compassionate, if someone's suffering and you're compassionate, what is that energy is you're not abandoning them, that being. If someone's suffering, you stay with them. You attend. You try to alleviate or work with their suffering. Right? So you're not, you're not turning away from. You're not suppressing. You're not rejecting. So compassion is the ability, and I'm using it in one, there's many different definitions, but in, in, in terms of, in terms of uh, present moment awareness and then opening a new experience. So we actually do not turn away. So then we wouldn't be going back to our breath at that point. You're not actually turning away. You're, and it's actually quite beautiful when we, when we look at compassion in terms of present moment awareness. It means that we have a kind of, it's gentle, but it's kind of a warrior energy to actually be with what our life is actually revealing, what's actually showing itself. So, and the understanding, so that's the compassion piece. And it's, it's holding it. It's not abandoning, but it's, it, it needs to be, sometimes it's, it's considered like womb-like. He uses this language. So awareness, you hold it. It's gentle. Like often if we have a pain in the body, we work with it. Sometimes the most skillful way to work with it is to actually just feel the edges of it or to relax into a soft relationship with it so that it's a feeling of being held rather than just trying to get through it, right? 
Because often when we, try to, when we try to investigate and get through, you have to see this in your own experience. Often we're actually, we're actually trying to get rid of it. We're trying to see it so that it will go away. <laughs> and what energy is that? Remember, I started with the mind as the forerunner, right? If a mind that acts with greed, like trying to wanting or, tr- or rejecting, or not seeing clearly, that's one of the forms, guess what? It doesn't work. It's not a pure mind and a heart. It causes reactivity. It, it's a reaction itself. And so we have to be able to see in a way that's not colored by that energy. So the wisdom of compassion can be holding and it's not abandoning. And the wisdom of under, and shining your understanding, and understanding is actually seeing into the nature of something. So you start to look into the anger and you, you can actually see it as energy. One very powerful way is to ground things in the body or let them feel the energies here. Anybody feel that, that they have that in their life sometimes in practice where they, they feel that they're actually, they're, they're more embodied, right? Awareness is here, the awareness, and, and when I mean awareness is a friend, you make friends with it. Often you make friends with it because it's in the body and it becomes a place where experience gets processed naturally. We're not, it's not processed in our brains. It has its own energy, but it has a place to land. So how many people have that, have that experience? Great. It's wonderful. You, there's many ways to open in practice. You don't, have to, you don't have to go through the body. It can happen just in the mind. and it can, You just have to see the characteristics, the nature of experience. And that's what understanding does. It starts to see the change. It starts to see anger, if it were, or whatever the emotion would be, on a more elemental level. You see it as just movement and pressure and change. You don't have to label all those things. You just see it as energy. It becomes something that's much less... It takes us out of the tangle of me and tight, oppositional, stuck. So, and when you see into the nature, when it shines into the experience, then it says uh, your angle will soon crack. So, I mean, another a more kind of easy analogy, I think a little warmer one is, it's like our emotions and all these energies, they're like frozen. They're frozen energy. They're stuck. And that it's like the light of awareness, especially wisdom and compassion together, there's, it's like warmth. It doesn't have to feel warm. It can be clear. But it actually melts. So that energy that was frozen, it changes. And then whew, it moves. Water moves when it's, right? when, it's, when it's frozen and it melts. It moves. It flows. And so it sees your energy will soon crack. So... And you, you'll be able to look into its depths and see its roots. So in a certain way, when we, get, when we look into something we, and we see it at a very deep level, we often see into its depths. That's like seeing, we, keep, we see it as, as just as energy moving. It's depth. It's not, it's life. It's life in the form of aversion or something, being known by life in the form of awareness, compassion. It sees into it. And when it sees into it, what happens? What happens naturally when you see into something for, an, for, for a period and you don't, you're not caught up in the clinging of wanting and pushing away and not seeing clearly? What happens naturally? Well, we have to experiment with that. But everything has its own life. Everything has its own display. It has its own life cycle. It comes. It displays itself. And it goes. It morphs into something else. And this is just the nature of life. So this day I'm looking outside. The sun is starting to set. Right? And this day had, it had its energy. No one's trying to keep the day. You can't keep. Nope. I don't want the sun to set. Or I wanted to set a while ago because I got this movie I want to go to. No, we can't change that. It's the same thing with our, with our energies. But what we can do is we can see into in a way that we let go of the manipulative energy that actually creates friction, creates suffering. And that's where our freedom is. Our freedom of the mind and the heart in that way is to actually see 
that experience by its nature moves. And that includes the energies that we consider are stuck. And so our, our anchor is a way, our breath is a way to help us to do that. Okay, we can move. And we learn in our practice to kind of move skillfully back and forth. And sometimes you don't need your anchor at all. You're just aware and you have great interest and that's it. Anyone ever experienced that? It's really, you just turn to what is. You just, or um, Larry has a poem I like. Uh, and this is, he said, where is, where is peace to be found? In the same place as suffering. How convenient. <laughs> so your peace isn't outside of your anger. What? Of course it is. Huh? It's ice and it's water. No, it's not. It's the same, and this is our life. That's the beauty of this. this. This is our life. So this is just a little reflection I wanted to share. Because um, I think this, this poem is, um, it's a poem of hope in a way. It's a poem of embracing courage and really, and really um, allowing our commitment to being present with ourselves, with our breath, whatever it is, to actually give us give us a way to be in a really different relationship with the difficult energies that arise in us. In a way that even those, even difficult energies can sometimes be a gateway when we don't cling into much greater freedom. We, we, we see in and then the energy that's trapped there, it gets released. Okay, good. So that's a little reflection. And... Um, Let's open it up. And it doesn't have, just have to be questions about this. I just wanted to frame this, okay? Uh, just about practice, practice in general. And I can ask questions uh, with you if you, if, you, uh, if you want me to. But, um, well, let me ask one question to start. Um, your relationship to your anchor, whatever it is in practice, how, um, how does that help you to work with, how has it helped you? or not helped you to, to work with difficult states in meditation? Don't be shy. Has it helped anyone? Have you ever found yourself in a difficult situation where you're getting triggered and you breathed and it helped? Yeah? That's just how many people have had that experience where you just really feel yourself. Great. Okay, so everybody's got that. You probably wouldn't be here if the practice wasn't helping you, right? <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. I think uh, a lot of the times, you know, you know, what you were just discussing as far as, you know, my, you know, for me, it was more my breathing, you know, mm -hmm. is my anchor. And when I begin to meditate, you know, um, it always helps. And, you know, it always brings me to the place that, you know, centers me uh, and gets me started. But also, to your point, it, I think it can also hinder me in the long right. run, Good. you know, because my focus is so, you know, so, you know, my focus is all on my breathing, you know, and um, that can be troublesome for me sometimes, you know, because I'm not, I don't feel like I'm opening up, you know, we were t discussing that before right. uh, in my practice where I'm just more kind of <laughs> laser focused right. on my breathing instead. So, so do you have, um, so that's exactly actually what I was, what I was speaking to is that you want to use this, you want, you use your anchor to get calm and that's good, but and it's a very good point you're making. You don't, we don't want to become limited, right? So you get laser-like, but then what do you do with that? So a friend well, of mine... It sometimes it doesn't go anywhere. Exactly. Know? No, well, it doesn't go anywhere, or it doesn't help you when you're out of that calm state. Is it, is it that, or is it just that it doesn't... So do you get stuck in just kind of boring breathing, or is it... Yeah, I mean, I think I, think I feel, you know, just again, touching your, you know, on your point, I feel like I think I've experienced uh, in sitting or in any type of meditation where I have kind of broken, broken through a little bit, you know, right. and, and opened myself up to more right. awareness. But, Good. you know, a lot of the other times, it's just, you know, the breathing is, is a calming, you know, right. uh, state for me, and it, and it centers me to some extent, but then it's like, so do you, it, doesn't move, it doesn't move forward. So do you consciously let the breath go and then open up? It's very hard for me to consciously let my breath go. 
So can you lighten your, so this is good. This is a good conversation, so maybe this can be helpful. Can you lighten your relationship to the breath? Yeah, I've been doing that lately. And, okay, you know, normally my anchor is my breath, but I've been right. trying to move it over to my body. That helps a lot of some of the other troubles that I have with right. sitting, you know, some discomfort good. issues. Good. Uh, I've been doing that lately more like I kneel. So I've been trying to focus more on Great. my feeling on my shin. So that, that actually has been really helpful. Yeah, so one way, um, there's actually, if, even if you look at the classical instructions on, on breathing, like the, from the actual sutta, the Anapanasati sutta, the Buddha says, like, go sit down at the root of a tree or an abandoned building or something, or CIMC, put that in parentheses, no, or uh, just a place to practice, and then bring your mind to the, just bring your attention to your breathing. He says kind of the four, but then he says, just know if your breath is long, know if it's short, so just know the quality of the breath. And then it's interesting, then the literal translation is experiencing the whole body, I breathe in and breathe out. So, and that's just interpreted in all kinds of ways, like the whole breath body here or, but I really like, I mean, just the sense that it's actually, the literal translation is the whole body, is like the body. So you can take it, there's no right or wrong, there's just lots of different schools the way they do it. They're all, they'll have strengths. Um, but a really, it can be a really skillful way when you're working with the breath to sometimes just to come to one area do you watch it here at the nostrils or the belly or I, yeah i was doing my nostrils that was where i typically was doing it in the past but i've actually moved it to uh, my belly lately okay. actually and i think that's helped again it's more embodied right it's more body exactly yeah. so so one way is to come in you come into the so one way you just come back to the breath here and usually if, if there's like a lot of head energy or, or you're just it's getting tight up here then it can be helpful just to come, so this is just in general, down, down lower. But another way to do it is you relax in the body first. So it's you actually concretely, rather than, rather than coming right back to the breath, you relax in the body. And then you receive the breath. And sometimes you don't even know where you're going to do it. Or you can just come back to the breath in a different area that's more grounded. So, so, and then the breath and the body can work kind of in tandem. And you might have a little more awareness in the breath, and you might have more awareness in the body. You might kind of feel them together but that's that's more of an embodied state and then that naturally provides a little greater foundation for when the practice opens right because the body if you're in the body you can hold a wider range of energies because the mind and the heart touch the body in a different way so that's really it's really good it's really so that's a way without actually just saying okay i'm breathing and then opening it up to start to open it up but stay grounded right so it sounds like you're doing that right a little bit? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Great. Absolutely. That's great. Yeah. Good, good practice. Okay, good. Anybody else? Yeah, please. Um, hopefully this will follow up on that question. Um, I did sort of a different practice today. Um, you had mentioned open awareness, and I've been reading actually various things about it. Mm-hmm. I think one of the difficult things with uh, Dharma is that you read a lot, and you get, get an idea, and then you try to do it. And maybe you get most of the idea, but you don't get the whole thing. Yep. Um, so it can be confusing sometimes. But what I did today was very different in that. Um, I stuck with my breath, but I tried to do a lot of really quick noting. Mm-hmm. And I sort of went to this open awareness point of being like, okay, noting everything that's kind of happening really quickly. And it's mostly like breath, breath. But then you realize other stuff is happening as well. Um, <coughs> and... It felt more like open awareness to me, mm-hmm. um, and I still found I still got to like a deeper place, which was kind of kind of nice to see. Because mm-hmm. usually for me, it's just like okay, breath awareness, uh, realizing you're off your breath, and then go back to the breath. Mm-hmm. It's not as much just noting everything that's happening. Um, so I kind of ex- that was different for me, and I'll have to keep mm-hmm. practicing that. But maybe in that f- framework. Can you describe open awareness in either your own practice or how you would describe it? Um, since I hear that term a lot. So um, that's great. So so you're just describing that first you would used to come back to the breath, but this, this time you were noting whatever was arising, and that could include the breath, but it's more like whatever, if I'm understanding you, whatever was predominant more, right? So it could be the breath, but then it could be, and you were also doing it in kind of quick succession. Yeah. And most of the time it was kind of a, like a internal verbalization, 
but also it wasn't if it was like a really obvious thing if it was just like breath like i wasn't actually saying that to myself right. but i was feeling it you were no so so sometimes your noticing was faster than the noting right 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 okay good so there's a there's a whole approach in practice which um so there's different ways of working with more open awareness where you're not coming back to an anchor intentionally or you're just letting it be part of what you attend to if it's strong right but then if something else is strong you attend to that so the way you were doing it is, um, from, if I understand you correctly, is that you were using mental noting, labeling, for whatever was arising. So if it was hearing, go hearing, hearing, and, or thinking, thinking, planning, planning, breath, breath, like that. So, or whatever. Pretty I, much, yeah. That might not be the content, but <laughs> just give an example. And then you're just tracking that. Right? So you're, like, you're tracking wherever you're waking up. Is that correct? Good. And you did that for the whole sit, or did you just do that for a while? The, and then the last part of the sit, when I realized I could focus on that, and it would okay, great. be productive. Um, so that's a, that's a completely uh, valid way of working. And f from the way th that I practice and uh, approach teaching, there's two parallel tracks that are going on, and one of, them can be pri one of the other can be prioritized, or neither. <laughs> um, and one is coming back to an anchor. And one is actually, and they work together. One is waking up wherever you are. And actually having that as valuable in your mind as coming back to the breath. So it's not just that we wake up and rush back. You actually, if you hear a sound, you wake up. And you actually let yourself be awake and rest a little bit in that wakefulness. And then if thinking starts, then you come back to your anchor. Okay, but you actually let yourself, and then if sensation in the body was strong, you let yourself wake, wake up there, notice the awareness there. Of a little, right? So then it's more popcorn style in a certain way. So that's, but you're still coming back to your anchor. So you're valuing both. Two things are happening, one and one. You can also drop the anchor and just let yourself flow with the changing nature of experience and you just have to continuously wake up to whatever, wherever your attention is drawn. And so you can use that in that this isn't pure from my, from the way that I work and the language. This is language, okay? It's semantics. That's not just pure choiceless awareness because you're, you're doing something with the mind in relation to it. So you're labeling some things. But it's on the way. So you can do that. that can, and that some people... Like on this retreat I taught, some people use that as their technique. That was their basic, their basic meditation was maybe to, if, they got, if they got ungrounded, I mean, if they got unsteady with their attention and they started labeling or being aware, but then they noticed they were thinking more and like, oh, what kind of a, is that planning or is that, oh, I'm not so sure, let me, and then, oh no. So then, then they, when they start thinking and getting caught in it more, then you'd have to come back to your anchor. Or you have to put a little more energy into the noting. But some people, they just popped around. You just notice whatever is most predominant, but you're using some noting to do that. And if you want to do that, you can, you can make it light. Just make sure that it's light and that it's not, you're not like, that's the important thing with noting, is that you're not like banging. You're not actually, the, the tricky part about noting is you can block your experience with it. And you think you're getting in touch with it, but you're actually having a relationship with your thinking. It gets, it gets triggered by the experience, but then you're actually, they're little blocks. And that's not, that's not, sometimes you can do that. Like if you're really going to act out on something, you know, like anger, 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 okay, anger, 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 right? So sometimes you can do it in a blocking way if you're going to really act out and you think you might harm yourself or somebody else. Um, but in general, you want to make it really light. Okay? So that's, and then also, when you're noting, you'll notice other things as well. So you don't note, the, you can't note everything you notice, can you? But you just stay tracking it. So does that kind of, is that more what you were doing? Pretty much, yeah. It was... So you're experiment, experimenting a little bit, yeah, right? Yeah. Okay. So that's another technique. Choiceless awareness, in the more uh, full-blown sense of it, there's no noting. And awareness, for me, choiceless awareness is really more of a... Um, awareness needs to be fairly strong and it could come from your anchor but it, also, it can also come from interest and from relaxed open attention you can recognize it 
and you learn to be restful and open, and then whatever is most predominant, you notice it, but you're not getting caught, and then life is just touching you. But that, it's very hard to practice choiceless awareness. You can't actually practice it because you're not coming back to anything. Okay? So generally, we do a little bit of an imitation of it. And then sometimes we're really balanced. It's like the mind is concentrated, it's interested, it's open, it has equanimity, it has mindfulness, and then life can just touch us again and again, and there's, and there's no extra effort. We're not chasing after, we're not like trying to, and we're not rejecting, right? But we're in the flow of experience. So that's more of what choiceless awareness can go to. And then as that grows, then this, the sense of silence, or if you read about open awareness or the nature of awareness, you know, there's different schools talk about it differently, then you learn to abide in what in some schools call it the view, which is just this open nature of awareness that everything arises and passes away in. So that becomes the frame of reference. It's like the sky. It's like the mind. You recognize the nature of the heart and the mind that is like the sky and the clouds pass through it. But you don't forget that there's the sky. You're always resting in that open way. Okay. Good. Thanks. Sure. Please. Hi. Hi. Um, I was doing a lead um, compassion mind training Mm-hmm. Um, mindfulness exercise and I think I was able to this was a couple of weeks ago I think I was able to approximate the kind of the emotion coming up um, with a lot of direction to do that and being aware of the emotion of anxiety kind mm-hmm. of from the pit of my stomach mm-hmm. rising in a lava lamp kind of way mm-hmm. sure. <laughs> um, and I ultimately, I was able to sort of hold it in the way mm-hmm. that I think the poem talks about. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my attention was diverted and then it just sort of went away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it wasn't, it didn't pass, it didn't wash over. It mm-hmm. just, I think I lost awareness of it. Um, so I guess I'm wondering if there's a, if there's any advice about that moment of kind of when you have it and you can feel it and it's there and then not losing it and staying in it for its full cycle. Well, where'd it go? I don't know. <laughs> okay, then you lost it. Then it, then it did its cycle. That was its cycle. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it wasn't there the next moment, right? Right. I think I felt like I maybe tried to distract myself from it or that there was something else that... It didn't feel that it fully sort of expressed itself. <laughs> so it's, okay, this is, it's, you bring up a really important point in practice. Mm-hmm. It sounds like and, and that you wanted it to continue yeah. and that maybe it was pleasant or it would have some meaning if it would continue and mm-hmm. you'd have some kind of release and that's what you did the practice for maybe? Maybe. Maybe. But, or you just wanted, you wanted it to continue. Was it pleasant? Did I you enjoy really, it? I, it was. Okay. Well, well the, the, the anxiety itself wasn't pleasant. Right. The holding of it and the being aware of right. it was right. because it was something that was new and it was right. a different relationship to the experience. Right. Good. So, you, so this, we can't control experience. That's the key. We, we, re, we actually can't control it. So when that was there, it was there. And it felt like, oh, this is the practice. And then you got distracted or it didn't have any more energy or whatever and it wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And then you wanted it back, right? Or you wanted to continue or you're like, hey. Yeah. So that's what we do in practice. Mm-hmm. We want, so when, it, it will change. If you, all you can do in practice is we create the causes and conditions. Mm-hmm. That's where our investment is. Right? We work with the quality and as much skill as we can bring into being present and holding our experience wisely, and then, and it's a real art to allow it to do whatever it does. To touch us, to move through us, to be a deep emotion that's felt all the way through, mm-hmm. or to come partway, and then, nope. And then we, our practice is really to be, try to be as fresh as we can and just wake up to that fact. And then you're like, oh, I want it. I wanted to keep going. That was, this is why I came. That's why I paid my hard-earned money for. 
right, to do this workshop so I can feel my lava lamp anxiety turn into bliss, right? <laughs> it got halfway there. Okay, I don't need my money back, right? Just like that. Okay? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Good. Any other lava lamps going off? Um, I can speak a little more to that quality of, and it's kind of a it's kind of a magical. Did you just turn to it, or did you do things to evoke the emotion, and to bring it about, and then to try to like work it? Did you make it a psychological agenda to work with it? Um, the instruction was to notice what arose. Okay. Specifically, emotions. Okay. Great. Um, and anxiety is a common one for me. Yep. Um, so it wasn't, when I saw it, I wasn't terribly surprised to right. see it and feel it there. Right. Um, but I hadn't, like, I could actually feel the progression in my body. Yeah, you could feel the energy really yeah. from the inside. Yeah. And did you stay with it? Did you look into it? Were you curious about it and just, like, stay with it? Or did you do, what did you do? Oh, um, yeah, stayed with it. Okay. And and the instruction was to sort of hold it, right, compassionately. Great. And I think I attempted to do that, and then it disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> so sometimes when something is very difficult, if you have that attitude and you're quick, you have to be. See, this is where this is where our awareness needs to be pliable and needs to be. That, that's where continuity of awareness is so important, mm-hmm. and just in de- in so in daily life in general. And when we're, when, when we're a little more open on the cushion. Um, life comes in, and if, we're, if we can meet it really quickly as it starts, then often we get to see a cycle of experience. If, it's, if something comes and, we don't, and it's like already boiling in us, then often there's more of a struggle relationship with it. But if our awareness can catch it, then you actually, it's like you felt it start here and move, mm-hmm. right? So we need to be, we're not looking. We have to be open. Mm-hmm. And then when something's there, our awareness meets it. Mm-hmm. And that's when I, when I uh, gave the poem from Larry, like, where is peace the same place as suffering? How convenient. That's an example of it in a way. Your suffering is in anxiety mm-hmm. when it comes. But then when you felt it fully, I mean, it's interesting because it's moving in the body. Mm-hmm. But there's a sense of peace if you can be with it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So that's, the not, that's a really powerful energy when we can tap it. But it's not, like I did it a little, a, a little earlier today. I got just something, I saw a poster of something which, which triggered me. It was like some just comparative mind came in or whatever. And I started, my mind started going into like a little bit of like, man, anger. You know, like how we get comparatively, like in our profession or this or that. No one else? Yes, ever will. <laughs> so in that moment, I started spinning, but I started to see myself spinning, and then the energy was not nice. It was like it was anger, but I was just it was a mix. Anger just means oppositional energy, like it's just a, it's a pushing energy, and it can even manifest as depression. It's just something that pushes, it can go in or out. So this was a little bit out, and I was like the story, and then I felt it so strongly, and all I did, I just. I often don't do this, so I'm like, I'm not saying I'm some great guy for practice, but I t- my attention just turned to it, like really to it, and then I just looked at it, and I, I went right into it, but it was holding it. I mean, I don't call, I'm not saying be compassionate, it's just there was, I wasn't turning away. It was like I was really devoted to being with it as it was, and it really moved, and a lot of energy moved through my body, and I actually felt relaxed, and a little bit of even bliss came, not high-level bliss, but just a little bit. It's like, wow. It re- sometimes it really is in the same place when movement happens like that. It was physical, right? Sometimes it's not. And if we make an agenda out of it, it often, is, it, 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 it often doesn't work so well. But it's, the seeds are there. That's, the, that's kind of the miracle of mindfulness, <laughs> is that when mindfulness really... And that's just a term. It's just awareness. It's... It's wisdom and compassion if you want to use those terms together. When it really touches life, it has that effect. I don't know how it works. But we wouldn't, there wouldn't be places like this that if, you know, this wouldn't have been going on for 2,600 years plus in this one form. It's been going on in many forms. 
if the human mind and heart didn't have this capacity to touch, to tra be trained and to touch experience in a fundamentally different way. So that's good. So you got a little glimpse of that. Good. So you just want to keep on it. Keep the curiosity. That's the thing, though. You just want to keep the interest that led you into that. Because that's really important. Once we start to have a little different relationship with our experience, through our practice, we want to keep that freshness and that, wow, okay. And that's different than, oh, I, what happened to it? It's like, wow, I'm experiencing something different. I experienced a different relationship with something that usually, I don't usually have a lava lamp with my, with my anxiety. It doesn't usually express itself in this way. So that's great. Other people, have you experienced like just very interesting kind of surprising ways how your awareness has touched certain things in your life that sometimes we're just stuck in mechanical or how many people have had those experiences at times? They can be surprising experiences. You don't have to like, how many folks have had those? They're great, right? Yes? Anybody want to share one? Please. <coughs> Um, I've recently started practicing uh, meta a little mm -hmm. bit, encouraged yep. by a teacher. Yep. And so I started practicing, and uh, I was going through the phrases like "May I be safe and protected," and I was, and I would just started crying. And a lot of tension left my body. A lot of experiences in the past ten years, very challenging experiences. Um, So I never saw, I was in the midst of those experiences, I never saw, mm -hmm. wow, I didn't, I didn't feel protected, I didn't, mm -hmm. so that was quite a release for me. That's great. Seeing that the challenges I had been through, so. And you were just, you were just mind your own business, right? Just doing your phrases? Yeah. I mean, you weren't trying to cathart. Were you, you weren't or, were, or were you trying to bring them up? So you, or were you just doing I, your practice and then they rose? I mean, I think I had feelings that in, in the past I had a lot of feelings of frustration, like mm -hmm. why did this happen to me? Right. But right. I didn't do the phrase. I, I guess I, I, I had, a, had a hard time in the past having meta for myself yep so yep. Great. i would just think like may all beings right good and to think that uh i also am included in yeah uh that's a big one being protected yeah that's a big one that's great so that's surprising and and you you are right you tasted that for yourself you're worthy you're worthy of that that wishing well, that fundamental energy of really, yeah. So, to, I'd be curious about your practice of your practice of meta, or when you talked about, you know, with anger of turning mm -hmm. towards. Sometimes I have that experience, but mm -hmm. oftentimes it just feels like a struggling. Yeah. I'm struggling, and then I right. go kind of unconscious. Yep. For a period of time. Yeah. That's being human. <laughs> It is. I'm human. <laughs> I go unconscious sometimes. I think, I think in practice, I probably don't go unconscious as much as I used to. Um, yeah, I consider it a gift when, when, I, when I just have the interest and it works when I turn towards something and it really unexpectedly changes. And it might, it might evoke something else, like, like when you're doing the metta, it evoked a lot of other things. That's great, but you know, it's, it's, this path for me is very mysterious. <laughs> so a lot of what, um, like you asked about my own practice, a lot of it is being willing to be just fresh and curious and trust that mind that is really willing to just just come into awareness now and start to trust that process more. Uh, it's, and I think, I, know, I think it's a better way to live. I wouldn't be sitting up here if I didn't. <laughs> you 
you know. When I was really young, I don't know why, I, I, got, I got the meditation bug before it was so popular. You know, I just, uh, I just found myself, like actually on the way to an a, a exam at uh, Tufts, I studied economics there, and I'd spent some time in Europe, and I'd done a little yoga and meditations in the first half of the 80s. And then I just went under a tree, and I just, and I was really anxious. <laughs> the senior is a big, I just went under a tree, and I breathed for a little bit. I just sat down. And I just closed my eyes and breathed for like three minutes. And I touched something that was, wow. But that was more calming. The anxiety wasn't there. I got up. I have no idea whether I did better on the exam. I have no idea. I don't know if it helped me. But I know it helped me. And it was just like there was a power of being. And I just was watching something simple. And so my relationship to the, it, it kind of went away. But then when it came up, it wasn't as strong. So that's a little different energy. But there's a, so it's, it's the mystery kind of, of what the power of showing up for the moment and all these different forms. We embraced it in metta and open awareness and noting and breath awareness. So I, I, I think that energy is really good. So that's what I would say is, has carried my practice a lot. Is that helpful? Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, it's great. Because you have that in the metta. That's great. Keep going. Good. Good. Anybody else? Please. And by the way, um, it's about 20 of 9, so we have about 20 more minutes. But I know the announcement was that you, you can't leave. But if you want to, you can. Yeah. Is that okay? What? We do. Yeah. Okay, great. We're ending in five minutes. Everyone, please stay till the end. Everyone, please stay until the end. No one can leave. Okay, carry on. Yes. Um, <laughs> I've shared this before, but I had an experience... Um, of sadness. I was uh, out in California missing my son and someone sent me a video of him mm -hmm. and I saw him and it, ju it just, I was like I was struck through the heart and mm -hmm. it froze me on the spot and um, I intentionally just turned away from the video, turned it off and sat and said okay be with this, be with this and it was just this yearning to be with him and um, like, I didn't know how it happened, but all that sadness turned into love and joy. And um, it was like alchemy, like you said. It just flipped it right upside down. And it also showed me that the sadness was because I love him. It was just one of those moments, and, you know, I couldn't have conjured it. I couldn't have made it happen. It's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. So that's the mystery of not conjuring, <laughs> right? Allowing the, really allowing ourselves to drop into the, all these are techniques of dropping into the fullness of the moment. And then life shows itself. And that's a beautiful, that's a really beautiful example. I'm just it, it yeah. ends up revealing yeah the the uh, the um the other side of whatever it is that you feel it's right exactly it, like yep. it, it really did it was just like it turned it upside down oh this is love this is and it was a wonderful feeling and it was joyful yeah <laughs> so that's so that's the en that's the energy of connection and compassion in a way if, just to use the kind of the buddhist language is that it's actually the engagement. It's the engagement with that which often separates us. Right? You didn't struggle with it. It's that engagement that flips the equation in our life because we spend so much energy splitting ourselves off. It should be this way, but it's not. I should be this way, but I'm not. They should be, but I'm not. And the energy of our life gets separated from what actually is. So that's a beautiful example of this is actually what was happening. And it, and it was spontaneous. It broke through, right? You weren't anticipating this moment. And so it just, so we didn't have our defenses up. I'm just using it as an example. And so then, wow, you really met it. You let it touch you deeply. 
And Dogen, who's a, uh, you know, a great Zen master from Japan, he's the founder of one of the major schools there, just said awakening, like in a very like, pithy way, awakening is intimacy. And he said, when you study, this is the Genjo Kon, it's like the most really famous teaching. He said, when you study the self, which is what we're doing, we're looking at our, our being. To study the way, the way of freedom is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. And to forget the self is to be awakened by all things. So the forgetting is not forget, it's not like frontal lobotomy or something. It's, the forgetting is such an intimacy with life, like being really the sadness, or just opening up and having really, awareness is really touching the moment. Yeah? Or being really open to an emotion that, that washes through when you're doing an intentional love practice for yourself. That there's a, there's a forgetting of all that separates us. Right? And in that seeing, there's opening. And for me, that's, like, that's why practice is so, that's why life lived with awareness is so beautiful. It's much more mysterious and it can touch us much more deeply. So uh, thank you all very much for coming. Thank you for the, uh, exploring this discussion on practice. And may your practice uh, continue on to unfold in a way that is really helpful for you, for everybody in your life, okay? Because of the quality of your own heart and in the kind of interdependent web that we all inhabit on many levels, may our practice be a benefit to all beings everywhere. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.